Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined again by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about existing home sales, builders, mortgage rates, and recessions. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. Sarah Wheeler, it is great to be here. What a crazy week it has been, but uh, uh, always love talking about housing with you. I know. It's great. And and we're so lucky to have you. You've been on CNBC. You've been on National News. You've been on NPR. You're quoted everywhere. We're so thankful that you are our lead analyst and giving us the insight um, about housing. And because of that, let, let's talk, you know, your your moniker of like, this is a savagely unhealthy housing market has really caught on. And you rolled that out again yesterday. What was savagely unhealthy about the sales report we got yesterday? So imagine if I told the country before the year started that uh, the existing home sales would go from 6.9, 6.49 million down to 4.81 million. But at that 4.81 million, we would have near 11% year-over-year price growth. Pretty much everyone would look at me and go, what are you talking about? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and this goes into a broader conversation that I've, I've seen always uh, people talk about. They say, well, if sales go down because mortgage rates go up, then prices have to come down to meet that demand. Uh, it's been said time and time again. However, this is going to be the third time since 2010 that mortgage rates have gone up in the first year, sales have gone down. We saw this in 2013 and 14, saw this in 2018 and 19, and now we're going to see it again in 2022, that home prices never went negative on a national basis. Uh, and this is a function of inventory not being fluid, uh, but it's just a whole new kind of crazy in 2022 because we started the year at all-time lows. Uh, and even with the biggest hit on affordability in recent history, we just printed out an 11% uh, home price growth. And that was always the premise of the savagely unhealthy theme. In fact, you know, when I, when I talked about that in February, it was almost just like a red alarm. I remember doing a Twitter live video, which I, I rarely do those. And I just said, listen, we need rates to go up because we're, we're about to have a, you know, another bad home price growth year. Rates have gone up in an in, in a unbelievable fashion, and we're still seeing unhealthy home price growth. And for me, it's always 4.6% plus, 4.6 plus uh, uh, per year. We've already broken through my 23% home price growth model for 2020 to 2024. And we're still here dealing with this. And this is all a function of inventory. Uh, and what we've seen recently in the last four to five weeks is that new listings are declining. They're also declining at a faster rate now. Um, days on market on some of the indicators are, are starting to pick up, which is a big thing for me, which I, I'd love to see. But we just we have an issue with uh, inventory channels. And really, if you look at the charts from 2007, you could draw a nice line all the way down to where we are here. And a lot of this has to do with housing tenure, people staying in their homes longer, people are doing really well now. There's no forced selling. Uh, traditionally, a home seller is a buyer. So if they buy another house, the inventory is a wash. And 
And it, it really it really shows the highlight of the inventory issue now that you can have such a decline in sales. And you know, when we had a waterfall drop in sales because of COVID, uh, when uh, home, when existing home sales went all the way down to four million, home prices were still up uh, year over year and even month to month, just because the inventory channels are not there. So hopefully by now, now that we're almost in September, people could realize why I use the term savagely unhealthy. Because in a functioning marketplace, you don't have double-digit home price growth with double-digit you know, home sale declines. Uh, uh, and uh, we saw that again. And purchase application data is still doing its thing where we see negative year-over-year, about 18% on the four-week moving average, which means sales can keep on going lower. Mortgage rates have risen. Uh, recently, you know, we were we all we got all the way down to five percent. Now we're a little bit above five and a half. So we're just we're dealing with this shock of affordability hit, and we're trying to get inventory back to 2019 levels. Would we would be okay there on the national level? But we're still we're not even going to make it this year uh, to that peak 1.93 level that I've been uh, talking about post COVID. This is such a problem because there is no easy solution. Well, okay, there's an easy solution. If the government really wanted to solve this problem, if we if we all wanted to solve this problem, we could incentivize the builders to build. But of course, you and I have talked about the fact that providing a building, a house for everybody who needs one definitely makes this not a wealth building thing, right? You can't either have it your greatest investment or we're going to house everyone. And so right now, it is a um, it's a profit game as it should be for the builders. And you you wrote another article this week that like the builders are done building until they see some mortgage rates come down, right? You know, going back to what we wrote last year, uh, uh, it, it, in the midst of people talking about a construction boom in housing, and we, 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 we said this last year, we said there's not going to be a construction boom because once mortgage rates go up, the builders will pause. Um, and you know, the blowback I get from something like that is that we have to build homes, right? You don't build homes. They do. They need to make money. Uh, again, this is not the March of dimes. They have to make money or they will stop building at the rate, uh, at the growth rate they are. And, uh, what's happened is when mortgage rates got above 4%, we started highlighting the risk to the new home sales sector back in March. Uh, and then we raised the recession red flag back in June. Uh, and then the next two months after June, we see the biggest collapse in the builders, uh, uh, confidence survey, uh, uh, since, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the COVID crisis and they're done. They are just, they are, they are. For single-family housing, they are just going to wait and see what happens with the eight months of supply that they're dealing with right now that are that is in construction or they haven't even started yet. And then if rates come back down again, they'll uh, they'll think about building. But this looks perfectly normal with if you understand how the builders operate, this looks normal. And the uh, the home builders themselves that say, "Hey, listen, we're in a recession, so." We don't care what you people think. We're not building uh, in a recession. And the National Association of Realtors actually said we're in a recession. And when I came on CNBC and defined what a housing recession is, is that the country here is is caught into these two kind of ideological views on housing. Uh, either it's 2008, which is always a bunch of crazy anti-central bank people. Uh, and then there's a group that, you know, housing is fine. You know, it, again, it, it's it's a business model for everyone. 
there has to be an in-between conversation and it has to be f- focused on details. And when I talk about a housing recession, I'm just basically explaining what a recession looks like uh, in economics. It means uh, sales are down, activity is down, production is down, incomes are down. That's what traditionally happens in a general recession. We don't have that in the U.S. Uh, U.S. employment is still rising, industrial production is rising, uh, incomes are still rising. Uh, we have weakness in the data. My, all six of my recession red flags are up, but that's not the housing sector. The housing sector, of course, is really driven by rates. Uh, so when they go up in a very aggressive fashion, demand falls. When it falls down, demand picks up. Not complicated, and this is. One of these, this is the historical time after having 44% plus home price growth when rates make a move from three to 6%. Yeah, that is going to impact demand. That is going to impact production. That's going to impact incomes. That is historically how we look, how we view recessions post World War II. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's 2008 and it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, uh, everything is fine. There's going to be dislocations in this market uh, as demand falls. And then the next thing is, when do rates fall? I think that's going to be the uh, uh, topic going out because what's happened in the previous uh, 10 years is that when housing slows down or gets weaker, usually what happens is rates fall at some point in the future and then it stabilizes it. And, and, and because sales had fallen, it gives it a little bit of boost. We saw that in 23, actually in 2014, when rates started to fall, it eventually picks itself up. We saw that in 2019. Uh, the builders actually... Uh, paused production back in 2018 with 5% mortgage rates. Uh, but when rates fell, when that 10-year yield broke under 2% uh, in 2019, well, guess what? The uh, builders were uh, back at it and uh, sales were up and they started building again. So uh, it you try to keep it as simple as possible. Uh, housing is very rate-driven. Uh, the, obviously, the demographics are there. We're going to have another year of over 5 million total home sales again. So Demand is there. It's just that the growth rate of where we were uh, uh, could not be sustained. And that's, you know, when you have that kind of uh, fall in demand, production will fall, sales will fall, incomes will fall. Don't overcomplicate it. Well, you know, um, I always ask you about mortgage rates for that very reason that this is a, a rate-driven business. And, you know, as you as you said, we've sort of settled in the low fives. And it, in that range, it's it, it's going to go up and down just a little bit. But where are we with the ten year yield? What are you seeing in the in the very near term? You know, the ten year yield has made a an aggressive move higher, and it's really interesting when when rates got to five percent. Uh, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Boy, the Federal Reserve did not like that. Uh, the Federal Reserve didn't like it. They didn't like stocks rallying because what what happens is that credit conditions are easing. Uh, uh, which means that is beneficial to the U.S. economy. They're not in the business of being beneficial to the U.S. economy anymore. They are trying to create recessionary data so inflation could fall down. And more and more of them are starting to be a little bit more honest about it, that, you know, we want inflation down, so we're not sure if we can prevent a recession, but uh, that's the truth of it. Uh, uh, when the Federal Reserve is fighting inflation, traditionally speaking, you're, you're going to have to go into a recession, right? So we see some of the economic data start to really weaken up. Um, um, they are really moving on the labor market right now, especially after the last jobs report. Uh, jobless claims have, have upticked, but only from historical low levels. So they still feel comfortable doing it, but 
Um, it gets more and more interesting when the labor market turns because that's really their last uh, uh, mandate. As long as jobs are being created, they can really focus on uh, bringing inflation down. And some of the growth rate inflation is falling. Of course, gasoline prices are down, but rent inflation is 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 lags on the CPI data, so it's going to stay firm. So it's it's this tug of war that we're still going through. Uh, and, and the Fed, I just for my observations, they did not like mortgage rates going back down, and they did not like the stock market rallying. Uh, they believe that is part of the issue with inflation, and they want to destroy demand enough to get inflation down. Don't overcomplicate it. They can't flat out go out and say it, but you're getting more and more comments about, yeah, maybe we need a recession to bring inflation down. So that's going to be a very, very interesting time in our economic history when the Fed says, well, we have to create a recession to, uh, to uh, bring inflation down. And how people will view them at that point will be interesting because we've never really had to deal with inflation like we are right now. And they even said it, you know, we're raising rates. We don't know if that'll impact gasoline prices or, or stuff like that. But that's the instrument that they're using right now is to front load it. Uh, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a tug of war right now. It's the, the retail sales were firm still. Industrial production was positive. Jobs data was we had a nice report there, but other indicators, leading economic index fell again. Uh, um, the manufacturing data, is, uh, some of that is getting weaker. So it's this this tug of war. When when does it break? When does it not break? Uh, and it's it's kept rates between that five to six percent range uh, for the last few months. So, you know, at this point, even if they raise, um, you know, the federal funds rate again, it doesn't mean that that's going to be priced in to mortgage rates the same way, right? Like, so what is your prediction there? So when rates got to like six and a quarter, I thought that was pricing in a lot of Fed rate hikes and the economic data has actually gotten weaker. Some of it has during this time. So uh, we're sitting here, the 10-year yields at 2.98%. Uh, and, you know, if you go back to 2010, Really, that channel between 1.6 to 3%, if we take the COVID lows out of it, it's basically we've really just been in this range for so much uh, uh, of our economic history outside of COVID. COVID br broke the 10-year yield lower. But the mortgage-backed security market is much different now. You know, uh, In 2014, mortgage rates would be 4.5% right now with a 10-year yield under uh, 3%. Uh, we could even be 4.75% uh, in 2018, 2019 pricing. So pricing is much worse now than it was back then. So the question is, when does this cycle break? Or when does the Fed actually really start to vocal their, their pivot stance? Uh, and just, my, just from my market observation, uh, uh, they were not happy that mortgage rates went down. They were not happy with the stock market rallying. They are here to create that recession. They want to drive inflation lower, and they believe people have to lose their jobs. This is why they say the unemployment rate has to go up. Uh, uh, the demand has to fall even more uh, to get inflation down. So that's where we are, and that's the, the reality of what we have to deal with. Uh, and so it just gets more interesting and interesting as every month goes by uh, at this current stage. Okay, but. I want a number. <laughs> I I don't believe I don't believe um, rates will go higher than six and a quarter. So I think that just just like we talked about a few months ago, I think that that level is you're going to need the ten year yield to really break above 
And as the economic data gets weaker, uh, it's harder and harder for the 10-year yield to break out. Uh, um, we all kind of see this. Part of the economies are in a kind of recessionary also, and part of the economy, we're starting to see some of the growth rate inflation fall. So uh, they're, they're running a tightrope. Now, there was all this discussion about a soft landing, uh, and we wrote about that uh, in the last jobs report. For a soft landing to happen in the U.S., it has to happen. It has to look like what 2018 and 19 did. Uh, and, and on CNBC, I even compared the housing market to what 2018 was. Rates have to fall. The growth rate of inflation has to fall. The Fed has to stop hiking and cutting rates. And then you can see, you know, uh, data start to get better. Uh, the stock market would probably rally. Uh, bond yields would, you know, uh, and bond yields will fall. The, the Federal Reserve would do a pivot. We're not there yet. Uh, uh, we're not even with even with the six recession red flags up. Clearly, we're seeing this 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 battle between uh, making sure the growth rate of inflation falls, uh, not just have these one or two month declines. They want this down, uh, and I think there's going to be a point to where maybe at between three to four percent of growth of inflation that they might call it a day at that point because there that'll be a noticeable decline. But we're not there yet, and such a big driver of inflation is rent inflation, and that has a lagging uh, impact in, in, in how it's accounted for in the inflation data. So again, not going above that 350 on that 10-year yield or above six and a quarter. If that happens, again, what happens is housing gets weaker and weaker, and uh, uh, you'll see more declines in sales, and you'll see falling the levels of production uh, is faster for the builders at that point. So your six recession red flags, would you clarify, is that for a housing recession, which you say we're already in, or is that an overall economic recession? That's an overall, yeah, that's that's the overall economy. Um, and again, that's a, a back-tested model going back to the late 60s. Uh, these six flags are traditionally up. Uh, since COVID was an anomaly, I never got to actually run a full six-flag recession model because uh, the economy was still in expansion. But we're looking at late 2006, uh, 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 early 2007, when all flags were really raising back during the housing bubble year. So there are times where uh, the recession might not happen for uh, 14, 15, 16 months after all six flags are up. There are times where it's like two or three months. Uh, especially in the late 90s uh, after the tech bubble. So it, it really depends on uh, what's functioning with the economy, where, what's the problem in here. Uh, we're trying to rebalance ourselves as an economy from a uh, really strong demand-driven COVID recovery to trying to get the supply and demand balances for companies. And already companies are readjusting their labor markets. That's why we saw the jobless claims maybe rise up uh, from the recent lows. So we're on recession watch, but clearly housing is in a recession because it, it, it all the qualifications fall for it. But the general economy, you don't create 3.7 million jobs in a recession. You don't have industrial productions or positive. Uh, nominal retail sales are up double digits still. You know, Even if you accounted for inflation, you're still up positive one uh, to 2%. So those things don't usually happen in recession in the general economy. But housing qualifies up because sales are down, productions are down, incomes are down, jobs are being lost. That's what traditionally happens in a recession within a cycle. We had this happen in the manufacturing sector in 2015 and 16, uh, the oil rig boom and bust, 
right? The oil industry uh, had a recession back then, uh, but the general economy wasn't in a recession. So we we can have recessions within uh, economic sectors uh, and not have a general recession. That that that's that's been happened. That's happened before. Thank you for clarifying that. Something that um, I think I follow pretty closely, but even sometimes I'm like, okay, so which one is he talking about right now? So I wanted to clarify that. Let's talk a little bit. You've talked about the rent inflation. Um, one of the things that we saw yesterday that that uh, Real Trends reported on was that we're seeing more demand in the lower part of the housing market, which makes sense, right? So it, before that, before the last couple months, really we saw a ton of demand in the mid to high higher priced homes. And now we're seeing it in, in the lower priced homes. And, you know, the, the calculation there is people are priced out of the higher priced homes. They're, they have maybe the same amount of money, but with the interest rates going up, with home prices going up, now we're seeing that demand really pick up in the lower end of the market. Um, how does that, how does that drive with rent inflation? Because you're squeezing people on both ends there. There's a group of American workers that simply will never be able to buy homes unless they marry into a dual household income. So uh, the shelter inflation is is very firm. And you know, I was asked this question recently at an event where we're 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 building a lot of multifamily construction. So shouldn't rent inflation come down? Notice we you have to look at it in this context. We have we have over 143 million housing units. So if like. 30 to 40 or 50,000 apartments come online. In big scale terms, is that really going to turn the marketplace? This is why if you look at if you look at inf- uh, rent inflation post World War II, it rarely goes negative. I mean, like only one time and that was when rental vacancies got high because of the housing bubble crash. So the growth rate of inflation for rents should cool down, um, but rental vacancies are still low. Uh, and even when you add on apartments, there could be certain areas of the U.S. Uh, that can benefit and get uh, less shelter inflation with more supply. But in general terms, if you're looking at the national data, uh, with over 143 million units, does 40, 70, 80,000 apartments coming up, does it really change the dynamic narratives of having a population of over 330 million with the biggest housing demographic patch being ages 28 to 34 in there. Uh, Not so much, but wages have picked up recently, noticeably. Uh, Productivity is down, which means people have got to pay up for labor. Uh, uh, So uh, that that wage growth keeps that uh, rent inflation going. Uh, But there's limits, right? You you just keep on camp doing uh, 15 to 20% rent increases. Uh, and, and and I think landlords know that to a degree. Uh, uh, but once it starts to bite back, then you start to see uh, rental inflation cool down even noticeably as they try to uh, align themselves with the reality of wages in their local city uh, or county or state. Let's talk a little bit. You've rolled out a, a new phrase, uh, foreclosure fanatics, right? Yes. Yes, foreclosure <laughs> fanatics. So I have a question related to foreclosure, but it's not about foreclosure fanatics, right? Like, so that is a s- specific group of people who think that you know we're about to go through this crisis, and um, you know there's just going to be mass selling or or mass force selling. It's just crazy. But what we do see is there definitely are some companies that you know we're familiar with at Housing Wire and that we that we watch that are kind of uh, gearing up for more REO. Right. And I would assume that that's because we are just coming back into the normal cycle of there are going to be some houses that are foreclosed. Um, and there's also probably been a lot of houses just sitting there. But but what are your 
What are your observations for these companies, which are not foreclosure fanatics, but are gearing up for some more business there? Well, one of the things I, uh, one of the charts I love to show uh, always on social media is the actual bankruptcy and foreclosure data. Uh, and, um, you know, we pause the foreclosure process and there are homes that are like from 2018 that nobody was living in, uh, that, uh, are now coming back online. And, uh, there's, I mean, there's always somebody in some state of foreclosure every day, uh, out there. So when you reopen the process, uh, there shouldn't be any, um, uh, deterioration on getting the foreclosure data back to pre-COVID trends, which were really very low uh, uh, in there. I think that the people miscue the, these percentages when you're working from almost zero and it goes up. People go, oh God, foreclosures are up 84%. You know, the housing market is going to crash. Those are the foreclosure fanatics, the YouTubers, the Facebooks, the Twitters, you know, uh, doomsday callers. Um, but it I would be shocked, actually, if foreclosures don't go back to the pre-COVID trend, which was very historically low, just because when you pause a system out, uh, then it realigns itself out. And, you know, a lot of people have said, well, couldn't inventory get back to three or four million if that's the case? It's like, guys, we had higher foreclosure rates, higher distress sales from 2014, and inventory levels were falling with those higher foreclosure rates and distress sales. So, you need a authentic job loss recession to bring the total number up higher than what the historical downtrend is. Uh, and that in itself would be like a nine to 12 month process uh, uh, anyway. Um, so I, I would be shocked if we don't get back to the pre-foreclosure uh, trends, because when you pause a system and you get them back online, unless something happened during that process, uh, that home should still be in foreclosure. Now, you know, Rick Shanga from uh, from Adam, he really uh, talked about a good uh, a stat that 90% of the foreclosure data that he sees, there's like 25% equity in them. You know, so so there, there are sometimes there's people who are just in a long foreclosure process and they have to make a decision what they want to do uh, with that house. But uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's a process and that process does not necessarily mean you see inventory scale like in 2006 and seven. And I think that's always been the confusion. That's that to me has been one of the most misunderstanding uh, aspects of the housing discussion post two thousand eight. That people were always anticipating some mass foreclosure or mass inventory scale, uh, and not accounting for that people are living in their homes longer and doing well, and it's been more challenging. Uh, after 2012 to get inventory back to historical norms than it was from 1982 to 2008. That is some great context. You know, we had some um, news when you, we didn't report on it um, because we don't really talk about commercial real estate, but there was some news in commercial real estate I thought was really interesting, which was um, that the Inflation Reduction Act doubles tax credits for building retrofits, right? And so this is looking to um, spur energy saving fixes that were just really too expensive to do before. So no one's going to touch them. So this is one way that the government is spurring the action for uh, developers to to take on some of these buildings. We know that there's a ton of houses that are just um, uninhabitable right now, right? By so so that to me is one part of this inventory story that you think you know what could we do there with those houses that are 
that are built at, uh, you know, they've got asbestos, so they've got this or that, or, you know, that there, there is a large amount of inventory that's just not habitable, correct? Yes. And they, and, and some of those, some of the areas that where those homes are in are not areas that people have want to move into. Um, uh, so, uh, it, it's a whole process. That's, you know, one of the things real estate investors do that that's efficient is that they fix up a lot of these homes and they sell them or rent them out. Uh, and that's where they can get such a bargain, uh, uh off the initial price and then fix it up and, and, and do something. Good. And there are, there are lots of those uh, properties and areas that people do want to live. This has been going on for some time. And still, the inventory levels have been falling since 2014. So, uh, again, I, I, I've always tried to focus my work on realizing that it has been difficult to get inventory back to normal. Uh, and normal to me is 2019 levels would be okay. It's been hard to get back to two to two and a half million listings. Uh, but, uh, if we could just get back to 2019 levels, the housing market will be so much better. And a good example is, you know, Phoenix is already, uh, above 2019 levels and there's plenty of inventory now there. Uh, it's more of a functioning working place. This is why I always highlight 2019 levels, uh, uh, and hopefully next year. And, and oddly enough, my, my concerns are different than other people. My concerns are that, well, we have we have more inventory now, but if rates actually dropped, boy, that inventory can slow down even more, pause or reverse, and then we're stuck again. And this is why I've always talked about this 2019 level as being key for me, because right now rates are still high enough to where demand is not picking up. Uh, but if that does occur, uh, if the economy does get really weak and the Fed goes, you know, we're done, we're we're losing. When mortgage rates drop, everybody has to realize this. In, in, in when we have this discussion, when the recession happens, majority of people are working. Majority of home buyers are working. When mortgage rates drop, it helps those people. This was the mistake people made in COVID because they saw the 20 to 30 million people unemployed and they said, nobody's going to buy homes. They literally forgot about the 133 million people working. It was like they vanished for some reason. So everybody was like shocked that who are these people buying the homes? I said, do you not see the jobs data? Where do you think these 133 million people are living? In a shoebox? No, <laughs> right? They are home buyers. So we are over 150 million people working. Uh, Right now, you know, when you see a job loss recession, you actually see renter financial profile people get hit first. So when rates drop, realize that that functioning working base of people that is much higher right now than it was in the late 70s, early 80s, or even the early 90s, uh, uh, when we've had recessions before, they benefit for that. And what I don't want to see and this is my like number one thing. I do not want to see inventory drop back down because being stuck to me is my is my thing. Uh, being stuck below 2019 levels is not a good thing. Of course, uh, that's that's doesn't get talked about in, in this sense. But I do not believe we can functionally have a normal housing market when we're below 1.52 million. It, it's the first time we've tested it. It's been nothing but a disaster. We've had escalating home prices, uh, uh, and that's a shortage issue. So whatever companies can do to rehab homes and fix it and everything, 
we have to get back to normal inventory levels. And the faster we get there, the better, because uh, uh, we're, in a sense, somewhat fortunate that rates had gone up. Because if rates didn't go up, we would have had another 20, 25% home price growth here. Uh, not because demand is like super booming or anything like that. It's just literally we have too many people chasing too few homes. And, and for now, we have a pausing of it. But the new listing data falling as fast as it has now, especially in the last two weeks, shows you that homeowners are just, hey, we're good. We're good. We, we're not like you drama people on your YouTubes or Twitter accounts. We we're, we have homes. We're having sex. We have kids. We go, to, we go to our works. We come back. We have dinner. We do what normal people do and not do this doom and gloom financial stuff. Uh, uh, and they have a fixed payment. They have no recast risk. They're all, they're all good. As long as they're employed, they're going to stay in their homes and they don't care about all the crazy madness out there because it is shelter. And that's why shelter is really important. And that's why it should not be a shortage like we are right now. Well, then we're going to end this, um, just where we started, which is talking about the savagely unhealthy housing market. You brought us back there. Um, you will also be talking about that in several different places, but I wanted to highlight HousingWire Annual, which is October 3rd through 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. You are going to be giving uh, a talk there, and then you're going to be joined by other esteemed economists, and we're going to do a Q&A. It's going to be amazing. Um, what do you want to say about that? I'm going to have a really good time in, in Arizona because uh, Selma Help, who is the economist from CoreLogic, we've been trying to uh, be in a uh, conference together for nine years. And I think the information that she has uh, uh, on the national markets uh, is going to be very useful uh, because the longer 2022 has gone, the, the questions are, why are home prices crashing? And uh, I think it's it's the job of the industry people of housing to try to really explain that we just needed more homes. Uh, and some of these areas just got so low in their inventory, especially with the, uh, CoreLogic has really good uh, data on flyover states about how bad the housing inflation was for areas where people migrated to. Uh, uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure someone's going to do some really good, uh, uh, show some really good work on that. And, uh, it's, it's so unfortunate to see, see this happen because, uh, uh, during this very unique period of time in our history where the biggest housing demographic patch came in, but they came in at the wrong time in history, even though low mortgage rates were low and a lot of people got homes and they have great rates, they're fine. They're good to go. Uh, the housing inflation that was inflicted upon the United States of America, not only in rent inflation, but in home prices are historic in nature, something I don't think we'll ever see in our lifetimes. And there has to be consequences for that. Uh, and so hopefully in Arizona, we could have a, a good back and forth on on what are the implications for the future now, now that we've had this historic housing inflation event. I cannot wait for this panel. I'm actually going to be the moderator. We're also going to have Lisa Sturdivant, who's the chief economist at Bright MLS, Matt Graham, who's the founder and CEO of MBS Live. And we picked um, each of these speakers because you guys all bring something different to the table, but something very valuable, we hope, for our audience as they try to figure out the rest of this year in 2023. And Matt Graham is going to be great for that as from one chartist to another, uh, uh, his, his take on the mortgage rates 
mortgage-backed security market and everything is is exceptional and it, it, perfect timing to have someone like that. And Lisa, I've known for a very long time. This will be the first time her and I will actually meet in person. So I'm really excited about Arizona. I think that's going to be a wonderful event considering everything that we've just had to deal through in 2022, which is to me a historic year in the U.S. housing market. It's going to be great. We have a lot of other great sessions planned. Hope to hear uh, see some of our listeners there in person. It's always fun to meet people and they're like, wait a minute, I recognize your voice. And I was like, really? <laughs> and Which is really strange. And then get to meet some of our listeners in person. I know they uh, will be excited to meet and greet with you. So thank you so much, Logan, as always. And we will talk again in a few days. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.